It's Monday the 9th of November 2020. My name's Alex Elliott, and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened, and why we should care. While we're still working in a remote world, um, we are doing our best today to bring you an almost normal show for the first time in months, albeit one that's being recorded online. So fingers crossed it works out and that we barely notice the difference. I'm joined today by Giti Chandra, a research specialist with the Gender Studies and Training Programme at the University of Iceland, and by the Ruv broadcast journalist Höskuldur Kauri Skram. Welcome to you both. Hi. Hi. Um, now, this weekend, unfortunately, saw the COVID-19 death toll in Iceland rise to 23 overall, um, meaning that the current wave of the outbreak has killed 13 people so far, compared mm. to 10 back in the first wave this spring. The chief epidemiologist is nevertheless optimistic that a slow process of relaxing the anti-contagion rules will probably start on the 17th of November, as he had hoped, as the new infection rate numbers continue to go down. Denmark, however, on high alert after a new strain of the virus was found in mink in the country, um, Iceland has decided to start testing its mink, um, but has no plans to cull the animals at this stage. On a related subject, Althingi last week asked two important bills aimed at providing additional support badly affected businesses during the pandemic, one of which was actually beefed up at the request of the Parliamentary Economics Committee. The Biden-Harris victory in the US election this weekend has drawn congratulations from around the world, um, and not least from the Icelandic Prime Minister, who calls Kamala Harris's election as Vice President an important milestone for equal rights in the world. After nearly seven years in Iceland, one Senegalese family has been asking how long is too long wait before rejecting asylum applications and deporting people. Um, both of their children are actually born here in Iceland and have known nothing else. And finally, the country appears to be, gather, be gearing up for Christmas early this year, um, with lights starting to adorn homes and streets several weeks earlier than usual, amid calls to help brighten the shortening days and lift people's spirits. Um, so where would you both like to begin? Well, um, I like early Christmas, I have to say. <laughs> I, I'm one of those, yeah, I, I'm just one of those annoying people that, you know, puts out the tree early and takes it down around Valentine's Day uh, in February. <laughs> so, I, I think it does a lot to lift spirits and such like. And yeah, I'm all for it. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree. It's uh, especially during the, the darkest months and, and the situation being as it is, then it's uh, totally understandable that people want to put up their Christmas light a little bit earlier than, than normal. Yeah, I yeah. mean, this actually, this, this was mentioned on the show last week, actually, um, but then it was sort of a, a social media campaign, and now it's actually happening and people are doing it. Have either of you noticed a difference? I have been noticing lights on, on in houses, actually, which is, it is a little early for the Icelandic to start putting out their lights. Um, but I have to say, I, I really, I like the the presence of the community behind it. You know, when you see people going out of their way a little bit early to bring a little light into your life and a little joy, and it just makes you feel good that someone is making that effort, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I agree. Some people, of course, go all the way and, and decorate the whole house and the garden as well. 
and and that, that that is always always a couple of people that are doing that and and that's just uh, you know that's just a tradition and, and most people like it you know when you drive past the house which is totally lit up with and with uh, santa claus in the garden and and, and all the all those things <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm a little bit i'm a little bit you know lazy when it comes to decorating i'm i'm, I'm usually very late in doing it and 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 I always take it down rather early, sometimes before Christmas is ended, because no. after after New Year's Eve, you know, I get a little bit empty feeling. You know, the Christmas is over, and and I don't want to remind me of it. Then I just take it, take all the decoration down. That's a that's an interesting point, isn't it? Um, because there is that kind of feeling, like just after New Year's, that you feel almost I don't want to say the word silly but like uh, it's a big come down like what was all that about um how do you think people will cope with january this year Oof. it depends on how the covid 19 situation is in the country yeah i mean yeah. if you have bad weather as well as we had last january where there was uh, like storm every day and and uh, snow floods and everything uh, snow avalanche i mean uh, then then it will be very, very difficult. But uh, my hope is that we will be having this uh, pandemic under control by then and, and, and we will just have this very normal Icelandic January month, cold, dark and, and icy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm hoping that too. I think that normally we go up north for, for the holidays a little bit and the weather is always better there um, than it is in Reykjavik. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think that I I like keeping lights up later because it's still dark. It's, you still need cheering up, even though mm -hmm. Christmas is done. So it kind of helps a little bit, I think, to yeah. have lights and so on. Up. Yeah. Yeah, I always um, I, I keep the lights up a lot longer than I take with the decorations. Anything you know, pine related and sort of Santa Clausy that comes down. But the lights are up for well, well into February. But it changes also also how you how you how you experience Christmas. Uh, after you know, it uh, depends on how how old you are. When I was a kid, uh, the main thing was of course uh, getting the presents and, and and opening them up and and enjoying them for a couple of days. Uh, but mm -hmm. today, it's a little bit for me. It's uh, the Christmas is is the preparation. You know, the, mm. the four three four weeks before the Christmas comes. That is the most happiest time. You know, when you're yeah. then you are meeting a lot of people that you. Uh, don't meet uh, normally and, and you're eating together etc etc I'm, I'm a little bit afraid that that won't happen this year because of the of the pandemic mm. well yeah. i think it's already pretty safe to say it won't happen in exactly the same way as normal um no but no things do seem to be looking a little brighter for after the 17th of november mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um in india it's diwali soon diwali is the festival of lights Mm -hmm. um, you know, triumph of good over evil and so on. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking that I can legitimately light up my house uh, without drawing much attention to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I know I know people that have uh, have the Christmas decoration on all year and, and they just uh, <laughs> turn it on. They don't bother to take it down, they just turn it off and on. Yeah, no, I don't go that far. <laughs> I'm really not sure how I feel about that. That's a bit <laughs> <laughs> conflicting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's talk briefly about what is coming up later this month, um, because we've hit 23 deaths now 
from um, from COVID nineteen related, um, yeah, illness, um, which is clearly a milestone because it was ten in the first wave, yeah. and now we've hit thirteen in this wave. So it's it's worse officially, not only in numbers. We knew that anyway, um, but also mm. overall in its impact. Um, so what are the signs looking forward? Because the, the, the number of new infections does seem to be going down, doesn't it? Yeah, but uh, also what you have to take into consideration that uh, last spring we didn't have a, uh, you know, like this time we didn't ha have a, a group, uh, what do you call it, uh, you know, a situation where a lot of people got uh, in a hospital got COVID-19. That's, that's right. what yeah. happened to, uh, this, this round, the third wave. Uh, mm -hmm. in Landakot, which is a hospital for elderly people mostly. And uh, mm -hmm. around 60 people there uh, got infected and uh, 10 of those 13 deaths that had, has been occurring uh, last weeks is uh, directly combined to that, you know, uh, linked to that. Wow. I mean, mm -hmm. so, that's so that's really, that's, really sad. Yeah, that was probably the only place in Iceland where we could not afford to have a COVID-19 uh, infection exactly. and, and, and it happened. Exactly. It's a little bit what it's, happened in Sweden also in the spring. That's what why it was so uh, the mortality rate was so high there. Yeah, because they it, got they got that. It's particularly awful, I think, because it's like we have a responsibility to protect those people, whereas everyone else, you can say, well, you know, you have a responsibility to protect yourself. But here are people mm -hmm. who really can't protect themselves and depend on everyone else. So that that's it's really awful, actually. Yeah, but that explains uh, why we are losing so many people uh, yeah. now. Mm. Yeah. Of course, very sad, and and uh, but uh, and of course we also see the numbers in the total numbers in how many people have gotten, uh, you know, in how many people have been infected, and and the number is higher now because, mm -hmm. like the scientist has been saying, it's uh, this strain of the virus. Uh, seems to go around faster than the, the first the first strain that we got in spring mm. yeah and it's uh, and, and that's being seen in in the fact that this peak this current outbreak is lasting so much longer as well i mean it does appear that we're past the peak now but it's taken a lot longer to get there yeah yeah that's true that's true and and uh, the reason was of course that we were always getting uh, these group infections uh, around the place and it got much much more deeper into the society than before uh, he has been uh, the, the health government has have, have been explaining this because in the first wave we were it was easy to see who was possible who was uh, who could be infected and and they could isolate isolate those people put them into quarantine but now uh, what happened now is that we got it very early in, in august and and it uh, spread around before we could do anything about it but like you say it looks like it's going down and and hopefully they're getting this under control and and of course you know it's been uh, now 8 days 9 days since they Put on uh, those restrictions which we have today, and and, uh, and since then the, the numbers have been going down. And, and uh, next Friday they will evaluate uh, if they are going to keep the, this uh, for for one or two weeks more, or, or if they are gonna, you know, try to see if we can go a little, take one small back, a step towards a uh, normal life again. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in August also universities opened towards the third week. And 
I mean, even though they took, I think, very, very good precautions. I mean, buildings were divided up so that people weren't passing each other in the corridor more than they had to. They were cleaning things everywhere, spritzers everywhere, and classrooms. And so, I mean, it was really well thought out and very carefully planned. But I think at the end of the day, you know, when there's large masses of people in any given place, it, it mm -hmm. was bound to escalate the thing, which is, it's a real shame. Because I, th I think yes, people yeah. really tried. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also a little bit worried about the, you know, just the, the mental health of the, of the nation, you know, because yeah. uh, last the first way we were heading into summer, it was spring, the weather was uh, relatively good, so it was easier to go outside and take a walk. But now we are, you know, going into the darkest months of the year and, and, uh, and uh, we can have bad weather, so people will maybe, you know, feel themselves isolate, more isolated than before. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's actually I, very nice. Yeah, traveling I around in the summer. Yeah, that's true. What lessons do you think we'll learn from the summer? Because life did seem to go almost back to normal for a little while there, um, which is arguably one of the reasons we're back in this situation now. Yeah. Um, the lesson, first lesson, is that we can't take anything for granted. Yeah. People got too relaxed. I mean, uh, because we had the, for many weeks, uh, no infection at all. And, and everybody started to relax again and, and felt very safe. And, and we almost got the normal life back. Of course, there were not many tourists around, but uh, there were people who were hugging and shaking hands and, and etc. like they did before the uh, pandemic. So I think the first lesson we have learned is that we can't take anything for granted and we should still be careful. Yeah. Although I must say that uh, there weren't tourists from outside, but the Icelandic were certainly tourists in their own country. It was actually a joy to see. Um, we traveled around the West Fields, uh this summer. And um, everywhere you went, uh, you found local Icelandic people and they were so happy to be there and to meet other Icelandic people. And <laughs> so yeah. it was actually, everyone was, was, you know, reveling in the sort of, freedom to go out and and see their own country a bit it was very nice actually yeah it's probably a little bit the nostalgic because uh, yeah. i'm old enough to remember uh, traveling around iceland before we got this massive mass tourism and uh, you could actually be in places which are you know uh, natural wonders places and 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 feel completely alone but uh, for the last 10 years that has been very difficult so uh, you couldn't even go to the, the, the summer cabin because there were tourists parking their cars next by it and, and walking around. <laughs> so maybe people got that old feeling back. But of course, that it's not very good for the economy if, if we don't get any tourists here for, for, the, for the considerable, uh, for the next uh, years or so. Yeah, I think one of the yeah. things that people were doing this summer was trying to help the economy as well. They were spending their money at home um, quite targeted in that regard and 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 now moving slightly on perhaps this these government bills last week that have passed into into force to try and help the smallest mm -hmm. tourism companies even individual private guides who have been mm -hmm. clearly struggling horribly um mm -hmm. what effect is that going to have is it enough do you think have you seen the, the numbers involved yeah, I've seen the numbers and, and uh, it looks like, of course, the situation is very difficult for the government because they are a little bit step behind. They are trying to put down, uh, 
put on fires. Uh, they are not, you know, looking. They they can't. They don't have much time to organize, and they are trying to, you know, help the little companies, especially who are in the tourist business, to survive this uh, epidemic, uh, so they can a little bit, you know get going again when the situation is normal hopefully sometimes in the middle of the next year in the middle of the next year that is what they are hoping for but of course they also acknowledge that not everybody can be saved and and there will be a lot of companies that will go bankrupt sadly but that is unavoidable we see big hotels like hotel saga yeah yeah they just closed down and and they're probably not going to open again uh, for the winter. So that is a huge hotel with uh, many, many hundreds of, of uh, rooms, one of the biggest in Iceland. And uh, so, so I can see what the government is doing. It, they are tr- trying to do their best, but uh, I don't know if it will help all the companies. Restaurants, for example. I mean, they can hardly, you know, sell their. The, they can hardly operate now because uh, there's only 10 people allowed in each and every room. And, and that's, that means they can only have maybe six or eight uh, customers in the whole restaurant. So for them, it will also be difficult, especially now that we are coming into the Christmas season, which is usually very, very popular to go out and, and dine. Mm. Yeah, which, I, I mean, wonder... carry on. Sorry, I was going to say, I wonder if the government has any choice but to just put out fires. I mean, it's not like it's not like you can make a systemic change. You don't know where this is going. And we all assume that this is a temporary period that, you know, maybe into the middle of next year or something. So it's not like you can make systemic changes. So maybe no, putting no. out fires is basically all that they can do right now. Save who you can and, you know, pray for the rest. But but they still the restaurants for examples and and the small companies still say that this isn't enough. Uh, they need more. Uh, mm-hmm. In some cases, they have this uh, special grant that if you have to close down because of uh, of uh, the pandemic, uh, then then uh, you can apply for a special grant, which is not very much, but still something that you can uh, use. Uh, but some companies they actually. They are not uh, forced to close down, and and that means they they can have you know they they they, they can operate themselves. They can uh, leave the place open, but there are no customers. So, so they are pointing, saying that okay, I mean, it's like uh, you can have a wedding, but only one person can attend. So it's obviously <laughs> a very difficult situation for them. Yeah, I wondered if takeout more is an option, so that the kitchens are still working and so on and and. You know, you can deliver food. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely happening to some extent. Um, yeah. And I think yeah, some places are doing pretty well from it. Probably not everywhere. Yeah, which is also, uh, you know, something we can worry about is that uh, who are the most, who are getting the most uh, affected by this? That's probably people that have are in the jobs that uh, don't have much salary uh, to begin with. Yeah. Uh, uh, who is able to work from home? That, that has, uh, that, that, then we are talking about people that have office jobs and uh, you know mm-hmm. re- decent salaries. So I'm mm-hmm. also worried about that. Uh, if, what effect this will have on the social structure? Definitely, yeah. that's that's a question the whole world's grappling with right now, and it's a very interesting and very serious question to be asking. Um, yeah. Time is actually racketing on here. Um, right now maybe we should talk about something different before we completely run out of time um 
perhaps the US election and how that affects Iceland or the immigration story or where would you look, what would you think? I just I, want I, to I, say, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, we were, a lot of us were asked, well, you know, I mean, this is happening in America. Why do you care so much? Um, and I think that apart from the way that America impacts the rest of the world, um, a victory for the right wing in one place is always a victory for the right wing in another place. Um, I think that right-wing governments around the world are emboldened and made stronger by a more right-wing government in a place like America. So, yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> Does that not work the other way around? Um, I hope so. I hope so. But I, I think that there's a kind of rhetoric that goes with the right-wing that, you know, is more powerful. Um, and it works to because people vote emotionally. We know that they don't vote in their best interests. Uh, they often don't vote with their with their heads or or with their wallets, um, but on on emotional rhetoric. And I think that the right wing cashes in on that more than other kinds. Mm -hmm. I I think uh, I think uh, of course we have to wait to see what happens. Some people say that uh, you know th that this election won't uh, make much much matter. You know we have to see what Biden does. How, what, what, mm -hmm. what he's going to do and, and if it's going to change every, anything. Of course, we will have a different tone from the White House than before. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit more aggressive during Trump's time. And, and, <laughs> and I think many people are hoping that uh, that will change. And also, uh, you know, the relation between US and, and for example, Western Europe, which was a little bit uh, strange during uh, Trump's administration. Uh, I mm -hmm. think that, that will change, you know, and, and uh, many people are also looking at the environment issues uh, like, mm -hmm. the, uh, I mean, uh, it was obvious that uh, Trump didn't uh, think a lot, you know, think a lot about that and, and uh, will be interesting to see what Biden does there. He mentioned that very early and I think also in his speech, which he gave uh, after his victory speech that he, I think he talked about that, but his main, of course, uh, main concern now, I think it will be, will be COVID-19 and uh, mm -hmm. how yeah. to respond to that. But yeah. I, I think this is, uh, this is true what you say also about uh, how a victory for the right wing in one country, you know, affects uh, the right wing parties in other countries. And, and we've seen that, that for the past four, five, seven years or so. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, it will be interesting to follow if, if what, what will happen in other countries after this this election yeah. in the United States? Yeah, I mean, Biden-Harris was not a dream team, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, but um, I think that certainly the ways in which sexism and racism and xenophobia work um, mm -hmm. in America and, and, you know, also in its influence outside, I think that, yeah, a lot of that, it's not that it will go away, but... I think that the public encouragement, the public support that people felt maybe much less with mm -hmm. a new tone, I think, from the White House. So hopefully. Yeah. Uh, Prime Minister Katharine Jakobsdottir welcomes the election result, saying that Kamala Harris is a, is a big step forward as vice president in, in global equal rights. And she's also very... Um, she's been vocal about supporting, obviously, Biden's decision to rejoin the Paris Convention. Mm -hmm. um, but it has to be said that the Trump administration had quite a close relationship with Iceland. Um, Mike Pompeo has visited and they, they signed a, a 
trade deal uh, with Iceland in a way that previous administrations haven't done in recent years. Um, is there is there a potential any negative to that, or do you think it will carry on? Uh, I am not sure about that. I mean, uh, after we had uh, for many years no ambassador here from the from the United States, it was uh, uh, took a long time for Obama to appoint one, and 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 uh, there was a few few years gap until we got the one who is now. So. So that was uh, for many people a sign that they had actually just lost interest in the, in this northern region. But uh, obviously they are, you know, getting interested in it more these days. They had a contract with Greenland now uh, for a military base, and and uh, I think it was last week that we had an admiral from the U.S. Navy uh, talking about uh, the Americans coming back here. Uh, but that, of course, is disputed in Iceland, and we know that Katrin Jakobsdóttir, Prime Minister, is not very happy about uh, such ideas that we have a, you know, uh, American base in Keflavik again. Of course, mm -hmm. uh, we have have those, uh, you know, NATO cooperation, uh, which means that we still have uh, some, uh, you know, uh, army jets coming here regularly on a regular basis, and, but uh, there is no permanent. Uh, uh, base here now, like we did have in the during the Cold yeah. War. And it would also be nice if American interest in Greenland and Iceland went beyond the military. I think. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. how much <laughs> wealth from the Navy and the Army and military bases and so on. If that's all they have for us, then you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I would pass. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, as is so often the case, um, I'm afraid we've run out of time. Um, but The Week in Iceland will be back next Monday, the 16th of November on roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app and your favourite podcast platform. Huge thanks to my guests today, Geeti Chandra and Herskultut Kauris Kraum, and also to Lydia Gretasdottir for running the technical side of things. Um, we finished today with a song called Notte by Anderwell, who is otherwise known as Jose Luis Anderson, a talented Mexican musician who lives right here in Iceland. Bye for now. Se ha perdido el amor. Ya no entiendo su lenguaje y él ya no me entiende a mí. Lo guardaba en un cajón. Se ha perdido entre mil lenguas y en mil formas de sentir Y ya no sé Si ya se ha congelado en la calle o en mi piel O si tal vez Se ha perdido en traducciones o en Se ha perdido mi amor Se lo ha llevado el viento del otoño en Reykjavik Y el día posterior Se volaron las promesas y los sueños por cumplir las palabras que creí alguna vez o si tal vez 
Navegando por el río en un barquillo de café Por 